Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. The Saints and Rams are going to kick off Week 16 action on Thursday, and this is a game with massive playoff implications, okay? Rams sitting at 7th in the NFC. Saints are in 8th. So, fellas, what do we think about this matchup? What do we think about the NFC playoff picture as it stands right now? I need the Rams to make this really badly. Dad, I've been calling it since the beginning of the season. Honestly, going back to when the Rams played the 49ers close, I went, huh, this looks fun. And at that point, we were just kind of getting into the Puka Nakua mania there. Kyron Williams from Notre Dame, I don't think it started necessarily going off the way we've seen yet. And the young players on defense were just starting to sort of fill out their roles around Aaron Donald, who was the last remnant, really, of that Super Bowl out from a few years ago. Now that Stafford and Kyron Williams are back healthy on that offense, it's one of the most exciting in the NFL. Matthew Stafford is playing some of the best quarterback that there is in the league right now. So I need this team. In a year where we have been marred by quarterback injury everywhere, where some of the teams like the Philadelphia Eagles that we expected to do certain things and have fallen short of that standard recently, I'm looking for potential to buy into, and I want to buy Rams playoff potential. You know, it's one of those things that the Rams have obviously shown in winning Super Bowl a few years back. But having that offensive talent, having it come through, because we say that about the char- the other L.A. team, right? The Chargers. We see them with offensive talent, but they, they never can really pull it through uh, like they have uh, with the Rams. And I, I'm looking forward. I get to call this game, so I'll be out in L.A. Uh, tomorrow to do it. Two teams that, that are absolutely battling. Now, you sit there and, and look at New Orleans, which we'll get to. 7-7 seven and seven Tampa Bay, 7-7 seven and seven New Orleans, what, 6-8 and eight Atlanta. I mean, that, that's still a battle for the, uh, the, the top spot. And New Orleans, after this game, plays Tampa Bay and Atlanta. So that's all going to figure itself out because you're only going to get one. That's the one thing in the South. You know you better win the division because that's it. You're not, you're not getting a wild card uh, out of the NFC South. At least I don't believe uh, you are going to. So for the Rams, and I know you've said them, and then it's like the Bills, right, that you said in the AFC. I kind of went with Denver. You went with the Bills, and we saw where that went uh, this past weekend. The Bills looked great. Denver did not. So, you know, kudos to the Bills to, to work their way up there. And the Rams are playing good ball. Listen, Cooper Cup missed all that time. He had the hammy. He's had an ankle in the past. But uh, Puka Nakua has stepped up. He's fourth in the league, I believe, in, in receiving yards. He kind of has taken uh, the, it by storm being a rookie year and us not really knowing who this guy is and what he's done. And Kyron Williams has been nothing but a fantasy player's dream with, with how he's – and he missed four games, and still what he's doing is, is incredible. So they are a team that's peaking – at the right time. And that's what we talk about, you know, is it's not where you start, it's where you finish. And how are you injury wise by the time you're getting to the end of the season? As we said, they're holding on to that last spot right now in front of Seattle. And for LA, they finish up New Orleans, obviously, tomorrow. Then they play the Giants and then they play San Francisco. But San Francisco may have the number one seed locked yeah. up by then. If they have that locked up by then, I, I, I never blame a team if they want to rest. You, we get into that whole discussion. Is it fair to the rest of the league to rest your guys uh, to, and the other team can win that might knock somebody else out? My, and my thought is you do what's right for your team. And if, if Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco is in that position and he wants to sit guys, then you go ahead and sit them. You get to do whatever you want. You've earned that right. So they might be in good shape there if San Francisco doesn't need that game uh, to help keep them in, in the playoffs, in the playoff picture right now where they are. Well, and I mean, even if they're not, we've seen enough of the division games in the NFC West. Like even two games ago, the Seahawks were able to keep it close for a while against the 49ers, even if we never felt like they were necessarily in danger of losing that game. And the impetus, the entire origin story of this Rams team this season was, hey, they played the 49ers really close early in the season before any of the injury stuff even affected the 49ers. All of it for me just goes back to, Dad, 
I am also, and we've talked like the coach of the year conversation has been sort of like this chaotic way to just celebrate a coach who's doing really well in any given week. I'm sure overall it's probably going to end up going to D'Amico Ryans and deservedly so given the backdrop yeah. of that team. Sean McVay's won a Super Bowl. Sean McVay's been a part of teams that have been great during the regular season. He's been a talked about coach since he burst onto the scene with the Rams, but the job that he has done coming from where we're hearing these stories reported of him mulling retirement during off seasons to a point yeah. where he's come back and then worked through a massive transition for this team. Worked through an overhaul of the core players that were there when he first got there. Worked through an overhaul of some of the skill guys and young players around Matthew Stafford and the core of this team and gotten them back to a point where stylistically it's different. The plays that they're majoring in are certainly different in a lot of ways than the original identity of that team. I think it's an incredible testament to Sean McVay and his ability to adapt and to do what we see so many great coaches do, which is find different ways to win and find ways to evolve working with the constraints of your salary cap, of your draft courses, all the things that we know are baked into the Rams conversation. Yeah, and, and you know, we'll sit there and, and talk about the offenses of this because on the other side, you know, you have Olave and, and um, Kamara and what he's doing with Carr at, at quarterback, but it's these defenses, you know, and right now the Rams are in the lower part uh, as far as giving up points where I believe New Orleans is top six in giving up points on defense. So we, we always talk about offense and the firepower, but you have to start looking at defense as well and stopping it. For the Rams, kind of a down year sack-wise, just 30 sacks. Aaron Donald just has six right now, a lot of tackles for losses that he normally does. Uh, but, but looking at the, that, that defensive side, you know, kind of the, the same thing for New Orleans, who has more. They have they have 14 interceptions on the air. The Rams, I think, only have eight uh, at this point. So that defense for New Orleans, I have always liked. They've been a bit inconsistent at times. That's the matchup and the side of the ball I'm really kind of looking forward to in this game with the power on offense that the Rams are showing with Puka and with Cup and with Kyron and obviously with Stafford you know, le leading the way there, a quarterback, what can the Saints defense do as a number six in scoring, giving up just 19 points a game? How good are they going to play against this offense? Well, and number eight in rush EPA allowed, so expected points average allowed against the run. So quality run defense going up against a Rams team that in some ways has become uh, defined yes. by what they yep. can do up front, moving people off the ball, and a Rams team that also – basically won a one-score game against the Washington Commanders team that was starting Jacoby or had Jacoby Brissett on the field right. by the end of that game. So they are not world beaters. They're not to the point where you could just automatically pencil them in. But I think there's enough of the framework of a really interesting team, especially when it comes to the postseason, to make that all work. That's a team that has found a way. That's a coach that has been in transition. And certainly it's different because they've got the quarterback. Like everything that we're talking about around that works because you have healthy Matthew Stafford playing the kind of football that made Sean McVay go out and pry him out of Detroit to begin with. Jesse, we've got other teams that are on the fringe of the playoffs that are in a very different situation, i.e. the Pittsburgh Steelers, where it seems like every week we hear more and more coming out of this team, both with what's gone on on the field and off the field, that kind of seems like it's leaking fuel. Yeah, this is a situation that has had issues on the field that, like you said, are now uh, leaking into off the field. So wide receiver George Pickens, uh, he took heat Saturday when he declined to block near the goal line on a run against the Colts, came up just short of a touchdown there. He said he was trying to prevent the Tank Dell situation, which it was a totally different situation, but I digress. And the drama is drama-ing, okay? So Pickens has received a lot of backlash, a lot of heat this season for expressing frustration on the field, getting upset. Mike Tomlin said that's something that he's spoken to him about. However, Pickens then told the media that ain't true. George, Mike Thomas said he talked to you about controlling your frustration. Uh, did any, what he had to say to you resonate with you? What it was like, two weeks ago? Three weeks Last ago? week, I think. Uh, nah, he ain't saying nothing about my frustration. About he said he has had the, he's had that conversation with you, though, right? Nah. I ain't never. Last week we played a coach. I ain't had no conversation with Coach T. But let's get better. Let's keep working. Really, well, yeah. what you want to see in that scenario? So you got Mike no. Tomlin saying he's come out and talked to him about his frustrations. You got Pickens <clears throat> saying that conversation never happened, and that is not great, guys. 
Well, he went to semantics, right? The, the conversation happened a couple of weeks ago, and Pickens was hanging on the fact that, oh, you asked about last week? No, last week, no. Uh, so, I mean, listen, you, you watch the play, and it's by the goal line. He's lined up wide, and the play comes wide, and he's blocking on a guy, and he just lets him go as the play is coming toward him in the goal line. And the guy he was blocking or attempting to block and then gave up blocking on and quit blocking on, I'll keep using those terms because it really ticks me off, ends up being in on the tackle as well and said, I didn't want a Tank Dell situation. And Jesse, you mentioned it. That was different. Tank Dell, it was a goal line play. He was in close to the line of scrimmage and got caught up in the wash in the end zone and hit from behind. And uh, Pickens said, I didn't want that situation. Mike, I, you know what? This one aggravates the hell out of me. You got 10 people on that field busting their asses, and you got one guy that quits because he's thinking about himself and thinking, I might get hurt on this play, so I'm not going to continue with the block. That aggravates the hell out of me when something like that happens. And he admits it. He admits he quit on the play because he was thinking about not getting hurt. I, I as, as a team sport guy all my life and, and as someone who, when, whenever a player retires, said, what do you miss the most? I miss the locker room, the camaraderie, the, the team aspect of this team. And you went out there and knowingly and selfishly quit on a play that was coming right. It's one thing. Listen, I hate quitting out of play no matter what. But it's one thing if it's on the other side of the field, right? And you're nowhere near the play, and maybe you let your guy go because he's not going to get to the play. But you're also not in any danger of getting hurt on that play either. To admit that and to quit blocking when 10 other guys, as I said, are busting their asses out there, aggravates a hell out of me. You know, and, and that's not old school. That's not new school. That, that's, oh, here's the old guy yelling on the porch, get off my lawn. No, no. That you have a job to do, that you practice to do, that's your man to block. Block him. Block him so your guy can get into the end zone. Don't quit so that guy makes the tackle and you got out of that cleanly and didn't get hurt when you don't, you don't know if you would have gotten hurt. Well, I'm not going to lie. This one aggravates the hell out of me. Well, I think the problem with this, too, is it fits into a larger conversation that's also gone on with this Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver room where – you know, the emotions of George Pickens are one thing, but this is not the first time we've had a Steelers wide receiver right. accused of not giving proper effort. We had Deontay Johnson near the fumble on the field who looked like he was just walking past it, who had to address a lot of that. And, Dad, it's kind of led to this overall conversation. I saw Rich Eisen, who was on the call recently for a Pittsburgh Steelers game, so he had a lot of the meetings with players and got to talk to people, and he was talking on his show about the conversations he had with T.J. Watt who said was pretty candid about the way certain players aren't or aren't receiving the message from Mike Tomlin right now and what he's trying to do, how T.J. Watt perceives some of the effort that they're seeing maybe in practice from other teammates there. And it, it does start to call into question. We've heard a lot more rumbling and friction around all-time great coaches this year, like uh, Bill Belichick in New England and Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh about what their futures look like in these situations. And, Dad, you do wonder if – for some of this next generation of player coming up, the message isn't getting to them the same way that it's gotten to the Cam Haywards of the world and the guys in that locker room that have been there for a while. You know, and I, and I first, going back to the Deontay Johnson play, I first didn't think much of it because I thought maybe he thought the play was dead. You know, and, and he thought his player was down and it wasn't going to be a fumble. It turned out to be a live ball. And the way you, work, the way you go about it is if the ball's on the ground and you don't hear the whistle, get the hell on the ball. Um, so the play wasn't over. It was a live fumble. And you're right. He did not go for it. And all I can say is, Mike, you know Mike Tomlin. I know Mike Tomlin. You played under him for a little bit. And I've known him for years. If this, in fact, is the case with some of these players and what T.J. Watt said, they don't want to practice or, or practice like Mike Tomlin wants to do. Mike Tomlin's got to be in football hell. I mean, got to be in football hell for one of the most respected coaches uh, to ever coach and to have this string of above 500 play. But to that point, I remember the late, great Marty Schottenheimer saying he thought it was about 10 years to where you kind of get to the point where guys start to tune you out a little bit. 
are looking over your shoulder, not really listening to you anymore. Is I, I don't know if that's the case now uh, with Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. If it is, it's a shame because this guy has so much to offer, I think, out there. But it, it does. And, and I don't want to start and get, get start saying the player of today, you know, because then I do sound like that old guy on the porch. But, I, but know, I, Dan, back- I do think there is a difference. Like, we've heard from enough people, and this is how it always is generationally. I remember when I was a young player trying to get into professional football and going through training camps, and I would sit around and this, and even when I first got into TV and would sit around in the green room and listen to guys that had had decade-long NFL's careers in the generation prior, they would always talk about the difference of the player that started showing up in the yeah. locker room late in their careers. And we hear this all the time. We heard about this from Matt Stafford going into the season. Remember his wife Kelly on yeah. her podcast saying Matthew was having a more difficult time trying to engage with his younger teammates because there is a difference because there's always a difference in how different generations yes. digest information. Hell, I had an old coach of mine send me a book that he had wrote about coaching Gen Z, about the things that he had noticed as someone coaching through the years that were different now where this particular generation of players. So I don't think that makes you old. I think that makes you observant because there are differences in this and how you navigate them goes a long way. And and I guess if you continue to try and coach the old way, you're going to end up banging your head against the wall uh, because there's a seems to be a new way right now, right or wrong, however you look at it, because we can sit there and I can sit there and say, when I was in the film room for the Philadelphia Eagles, right or wrong, if that play showed up on film, if that play showed up on film where a player did that and, and this, this may sound horrible to say, that player would have got dropped right there in the meeting room. I mean, literally would have gotten dropped. Now, and and I'm not saying that's right or wrong either. I'm just, like we're talking now, that's how it was, certainly before me and when I was playing and for a time after me. And that time is different now. So is it up to the coach to adapt to the new player? Is it up to the player to say, you know what, is this the right way to go about our business to sit there and say, I'm just worried about getting injured, so don't ask me to block that guy. If all the play's coming behind me, then it, it is my. I'm going to go ahead and let that guy go so I don't get hurt. I mean, it's, that stuff's hard to compute for me. Yeah, oh, I understand it. It's all very different. And I'm not saying, to be clear, that I think George Pickens was necessarily right or wrong right. in this situation. Right, right, right. Uh, but it, it's not an indictment of that, but it is more, I think, Two in this conversation, because it's going to a lot be centered on Mike Tomlin and what he might or might not be able to do. We just had this conversation with Sean McVay. Part of this is also, man, sometimes it's just do you have the quarterback or not in terms of top-end success. We've seen some teams this year be able to overcome that. It's not an excuse for everybody here. The Browns would like a word on their fourth quarterback still in playoff contention. The Bengals, like we talked about before, there are plenty of teams. We had this conversation with Diana about the Jets yesterday, how they seem to have used once Aaron Rodgers went down as nothing's going to happen that hasn't been Pittsburgh like Pittsburgh isn't New England Pittsburgh's not the Jets they're a team that's been in playoff contention most of the season they're still flirting with that Mike Tomlin above 500 line all those things are true but the top end success that tends to quiet a lot of this conversation dad usually becomes a lot easier when you've just got that one position stabilized and so part of me always wants to reserve any of the existential conversations we're going to have about this team and this franchise and Mike Tomlin how much longer he wants to do this until they get Kenny Pickett back healthy in the context of this new right. offense post right. Canada to see what can actually happen outside of that one-game sample we had. Yeah, and, and again, I, I don't want to sit there and say that, that in our locker rooms we were fighting all the time because we weren't, but I'm just telling you what the thought process was, especially if Buddy Ryan was the You guys were fighting a lot. Like, you're not overstating we, it. You guys fought we, a we, lot on that we team because it was we, we were, and, and that, that would have been a situation where they were, let's just say I said would have dropped the guy. There would have been a very strong conversation that I don't know what would have led to, uh, but there would have been a strong conversation. Speaking of, of words, I do like – how Mike Tomlin has kind of laid out this year. Uh, and, and I don't know if you heard this line when you were, you were playing under him, but his line of one week you're drinking wine, another week you're crushing grapes. And he said, we've been crushing a lot of grapes lately. It is <laughs> so amazing. I, I, like Mike Tomlin does, like, has not lost 
all that often in his career, all the reasons we know, he's got a statement for everything. It is really remarkable that he always seems to have some sort of like, I don't know if it's an axiom or an idiom or whatever you call it, but he's got something for every statement. It's like I always say famous people, one of the double-edged swords of that is there's enough Getty Images pictures of you to accompany every headline that could be written about you and look appropriate given the headline. Mike Tomlin has that, but for situations that pop up with a football team over the course of any long season it it is so true but where it ends up there in Pittsburgh again just three coaches since the 70s going to be very interesting going forward because again if that's the attitude now of couple some of those players on that team but uh, how Mike Tomlin deals with that going forward will be interesting. And, and how the players deal with it. This is what I think yeah. Ben Roethlisberger was largely talking about when he talked about that Steelers standard of who's going to, especially on offense, hold players accountable when these situations pop up that seem far below their standard. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Uh FSU is getting a little lesson in grudge holding here. Okay, they're still feeling... That college football playoff exclusion, you know, despite having a 13-0 record. Mike Norvell said a ton of Seminoles are struggling with the reality that an undefeated team was not enough to sway the committee. For a group of young men that uh, are having to work through that, I mean, it's probably been the most challenging couple weeks of coaching I've ever had. And, uh, you know, it, but it is, you know, it is our reality. So you... you you know, work through it and you go push and get better. I will always have the feelings of, of what happened, but at the end of the day, I wasn't I wasn't in that room and wasn't my choice. Uh, so my beliefs of, of what it is, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's that. All right, guys, FSU gonna face Georgia in the Orange Bowl on December 30th without a lot of their top players. Yeah, both teams certainly, like, Georgia's had a bunch of guys portal out, and I'm sure has had a bunch of opt-outs. I haven't looked at their list totally yet, but for Florida State, Trey Benson, their running back, uh, Johnny Wilson, their wide receiver, Fabian Lovett, their D-tackle, Jaheim Bell, their tight end. Uh, I think I just saw Jared Verse, who's expected yes. to be a top 15 pick, yep. one of their edge rushers, just announced that he's going to opt out, too. So the Football scene, listen, we knew it was going to be tough for them. And going up against the Georgia team, we know at least Carson Beck's coming back. They're going to have enough of the core pieces there that are going to make this a pretty difficult game for Florida State. But we'll see about that. Dad, this is more about, one, how they're processing it as a team, which is certainly a reality. Like, we have not seen this. And so we can't even think about experiencing what's going on in that room and what that's like to try and digest when you've had that thrown in their lap. The other portion of that is, though, Dad, the response from Florida State overall is the school. So I want to get to that. Do you have anything for the team there? I don't want to brush past that without giving you a well, chance the, to the, empathize with the team. The one thing I'll say is I w- would love everybody to know, and I've already said this, is because I heard so many people say, well, let's see what they do against Georgia, whether they belonged or not. That's the biggest load of crap out there for any of these bowl games. Mike just gave you a list of guys that are out for Florida State, and there could be more. That's just getting ready for the NFL. Then there are portal guys. Georgia's going to go through the same thing. You can tell zero, zero from these bowl games of what should have happened 
to Florida State, whether they win this game or not, or any bowl game because of the players that are out. It's opportunity for other players to step in and get a chance to play. It's opportunity for younger players to get more work in the 15 practices that you get before this. But that's my biggest thing is do not put what happened to Florida State if they got beat by Georgia in this game? Say, see, they didn't belong anyway. That is garbage. That means nothing in this conversation of a team that I st- think still should have been in the Final Four. Yeah, this isn't the next card coming out in the dealer at the blackjack table after you decided to double on cards that you shouldn't have or split cards that you shouldn't have here. This is an entirely different set of circumstances now in modern college football. So I think you're absolutely right about that, Dad. The other interesting portion of this that came up the other day with Florida State was off the field, and I saw Andrea Adelson at ESPN reporting on this, Nicole Arbach at The Athletic just put out a 3,000-word article detailing some of the conversations that are going on renewed amongst Florida State and their brass about their future with the ACC, which, Dad, as soon as this happened, as soon as we came off Selection Sunday in college football, you and I sat on this show and said... Hey, Florida State had already been one of these seven or so teams in the ACC that was kicking the tires on. All right, we know there's grant of rights. You kind of own our media rights. There's a big fee to get out of this. You know, a nine-figure fee if we wanted to somehow break away from this and go to a different conference. What would that process look like? What would the legal battles look like? Yada, yada, yada. We said as soon as that Sunday happened, the ACC just got looked at and told, your stuff is lesser than. And Florida State and all those teams that might have been a little bit motivated before, I'd imagine for Florida State especially then, was incredibly motivated, and we were right. Obviously, this was going to be the logical next step for a conversation that had gone on before and that had the ultimate fuel put on the fire of, you did everything right, and it still wasn't good enough, and people could say it was because of the quarterback, but I still think the backdrop of the way your conference is perceived in the current landscape is what gave you pause before and certainly gives you pause now. I I 100% agree with you. The one thing I'll say is with the new system in place, they'll be affected less, right? Because the system we first knew was going to be the top four conference champs are your top four seeds. And we had five conferences. And so somebody, say they were all undefeated, someone would get left out of getting a bye. We could still have that discussion. But there's, I don't know how it's good. We still don't know, right? Because they haven't decided how this is going to be structured because there's only four Power Five now. It's just like, you know, all the all the conference, like the Big Ten or the Pac-12 or whatever that don't have those number of teams in it anymore. You know, it's, uh, it's the Power Five. It's not the Power Five anymore. It's the Power Four. But it's the Power Five with four conferences. So it probably won't happen again to Florida. If Florida State were to go undefeated, and win their conference next year, they're going to be one of the top four seeds and they're going to have a bye. So from that aspect of it, what happened this year won't happen to them next year. So I, I don't know if that helps at all for them on uh, we want to get out of here quickly or it's going to take some time if we want to get out of here. But we do know next year is going to be basically a complete change to how the system worked. So I think the next year, the system change certainly negates some of the top end results from going this way. Right. right? Like this will happen again. But it'll feel less egregious because it's not going to be an right. undefeated team. It's going to be someone right. with two or three losses. It's exactly. going to be someone ranked in the teens. It's going to be on the fridge, so nothing's going to be as heightened. And, Dad, nothing's going to be immediate here because there are very real barriers, both financial and legal, that are going right. to make it difficult for Florida State or any of these teams to actually leave the conference right here and right now based on how all that's structured. But you know as well as I do, when people are rich and powerful and they feel like they're told no, that's usually going to prompt a response. And so I'd imagine for everyone around Florida State right now, this is just something that sowed the seed for what we always figured was going to eventually happen and now just feels like it's going to speed up the clock because somehow, some way, the history yeah. of sports and the history of the world is when rich, powerful people want something done, it is amazing how often they find a way to get it done. And so I won't be surprised if much sooner than we anticipate, Florida State and any other of the number of big brands in the ACC find a way to get out of this yeah. and find a way to push us further towards football Pangea where it's exactly what Chip Kelly described in the one super conference that rules them all. I, I agree because as every team in the ACC can just put their hand up and said, you have just told us our conference is the bottom of the power conferences. You, you, have, you have plainly and clearly said that even though 
we played 10 games against the SEC and we won six of them. Our conference is nothing compared to the other power conferences. You have shown that to us. So we are going to have to make changes on our own, whatever they can do. And you're right. Nothing is going to be quick here at all. And I I hope it eventually ends up to where Chip Kelly talked about and others have talked about where football separates. You have one big power, one big group of five, and we get back to hopefully the conferences the way they were. So there's not as much travel for the other sports. We've been talking about this ad nauseum, but it is about football and how quickly can we get to that model, which we all kind of see it going there. We all see the road, right? There's, There's split roads right now, but the biggest road with the most lanes on it is dead ass heading toward that. So how quickly can we get there? Who's going to run that? There are so many, so many uh, tangents to that. Who, how does it get going? How does it even start? Where does it go? And how quickly can we get to where we all believe we're going to eventually get? And, and it's, it's interesting because so much of that stuff that you talked about that's going to go into making that decision, that was the story of the offseason, right? We were so relieved when we got to the regular right. season and we got to stop talking about conference realignment and grants of rights and television contracts and all these things that aren't football and aren't college football and haven't been. But at so many junctures of the season, Dad, these Saturdays that always felt like a safe space, all of a sudden we're inundated with these things making their way to the field. We watched as the last time certain matchups were going to happen inside the pack 12. I listened to guys like Yogi Roth wax poetic on the last primetime game on the Pac-12 network when Notre Dame was playing Stanford because that was right. quite literally going away. There were endings like that. There were the way that it worked its way into the CFP discussion with Florida State that is no doubt affected by the perception of all of this. And so it does feel like so much of this is sped up because a lot of this is seeping into Saturdays. And it's not affecting the popularity of the product yet no, in ways no. that are tangible and might not. But is certainly being felt in a lot of these ways. Nowhere more at this moment than at Florida State, who's weighing some big-time decisions. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Down in ATL, Arthur Smith is in the proverbial hot seat. Falcons had one of their most disappointing losses of the season on Sunday, falling to the lowly Panthers. Now, speaking to Georgia Public Broadcasting on Tuesday, Falcons owner Arthur Blank said the team will let the season play out and go from there. So he said the organization was committed to Coach Smith but then adds the Falcons will assess where we are and go from there after the season ends. So, guys, that's sort of the PR speak for, yeah, it's on. Yeah, it's, it sounded simultaneously, Dad, like the dreaded vote of confidence where it's like Arthur Smith's our guy, but then immediately told us the real subtext of almost every vote of confidence we've ever seen come from ownership, which is we're probably not going to have you coaching here much longer if you keep doing things like embarrassing us against the Panthers. Well, see, here's the thing of why people might say, well, if you're thinking about that now, why not just do it? They can still win the division. And that would look awfully bad, right? So that's why I let it play out. They can win the division. They're sitting at 6-8 and eight right now. The two teams in front of them, Tampa Bay and New Orleans, 
are 7-7. Seven and seven. They play New Orleans the last game. They play the Colts this week. Then they play the Bears and then the Saints. They split with Tampa Bay this year. Uh, like I said, they, they finish up uh, with New Orleans. And they beat New Orleans already this year. So they can win this division. So, A, it would look pretty silly to fire them now, and then you win the division. And, B, I could see them saying, let's wait and see how the season plays out. They could be the NFC South champs going to the playoffs. So this is one I can actually buy into the owner saying, let's see what happens here because they could be crowned. They could be hanging a banner as the NFC South champions this year still. And this still feels much like you remember the Mike Malarkey Titans where they, I think, won a playoff game the year they ended up firing Mike Malarkey there. Yeah. If I remember yeah. right, like yes. that could very re- much be the reality yep. here. Because, Dad, you look at again, and we talk about this all the time, Arthur Smith came over last year and got us so excited this offseason. Like, I remember sitting talking with Mina Kimes on her podcast about, oh, the Falcons have this chance for positionless football on offense. And look at what Arthur Smith was able to do last year where he had uh, Marcus Mariota as his quarterback in the middle of this offense and they take this risk and they look at Desmond Ritter at the end of last season into this season and wonder could he be the guy considering all these top 10 draft picks you have all around him on offense and all you've done is a whole lot of nothing besides frustrate us with your use of Bijan Robinson and have a defense that actually came out of nowhere to end up being the number two right now in terms of EPA per play the second best rush defense in the NFL one of the top 10 defenses overall in a lot of metrics in the NFL because of changes you made there so you get credit for that but dad you seem to have miscalculated a lot of what you could have done offensively given some of the quarterbacks that were available last year by deciding you wanted to stick with and give a shot to Desmond Ritter and now go down with that so this is why Mike there's going to be four quarterbacks taken in the first round because there are a a few teams Atlanta one of them who's going to be looking for a quarterback is going to have a mid-level pick right They're right around 500. They'll be right in there. They're not going to have a top pick. They're not going to have the last pick. They'll be somewhere in there. So that's not going to be Caleb Williams. That's not going to be Drake May, who's going to go right at the top. So there's a couple other quarterbacks out there, whoever they deem with their best grade, no matter what the rankings are, forget that. It's what the teams, how they grade quarterbacks. And it's always graded on the curve with a quarterback, especially when you need a quarterback. So Boy, we think he's right there in the fridge of a first rounder, but man, we can make him, you know, that great, that great quarterback. That can be a thought process, but that's why we always get more quarterbacks than we think sometimes in the first round. And that's why I think there'll be four quarterbacks taken in the first round because of teams like Atlanta who have that mid-level pick. Yeah, but I guess it doesn't mis- it doesn't fix a lot of your ills when you're no. talking about reaching for a guy in a way that's kind of why you're here. Like, the way you evaluated that position has already gotten you into trouble, and now it's got you wondering, all right, do we really want to have Arthur Smith in the current iteration of this brass being the ones making the decisions about that, given the way that they've handled it thus far? And so, I, I don't know, Dad, they were as-, as disappointing a team as you could have conjured up in the South for the yeah. way that this came together. We talked about that relative to the Panthers the other day but my god when you lose to the team that's been the abject disaster and the laughing stock of the NFL the way that Carolina is has been recently it calls into question almost everything and I can understand I know in this day and age we advocate for patience more often than not but there has been so much about this season and the way that they have used the resources that we all look at and see as a positive on that offense especially and just completely mismanaged it It's amazing what comes down to a quarterback, isn't it? Because if they took a quarterback and started a rookie quarterback and had a bad year, you just chalk it up to it's a rookie quarterback, like in Carolina, we're having a bad year. That C.J. Stroud situation in Houston is the exception, not the rule. If you're a bad team and you start a rookie quarterback, you're going to struggle, and you have that at least as a head coach to say, well, I'm going to get a little bit of leeway because we have a young quarterback. But you decide to put it, you know, give Desmond Ritter the shot, and it doesn't work out, so that now puts you behind the eight ball and could, in this case, cost a head coach's job. 100%. So a lot still up in the air and on the table for the Atlanta Falcons, but we've heard it uttered aloud now that frustration might start to actually get teeth 
going forward here. So uh, going to be that. They could potentially join. And would be very interesting, Dad. We talked a lot the other day to Diana Rossini about the interest that certain jobs are going to draw all across the league here. You had John Spanos coming out for the Chargers GM and coaching job saying there's no limits on who they're going to go after and the next head coach and general manager pairing in terms of experience, in terms of salary, even though the Chargers have largely always been looked at as somewhat of a cheap organization in certain regards. We've seen them spend a bunch of free agent money, maybe not on the right people recently, but uh, this Falcons job is an interesting one in terms of where it fits relative to those other situations because again, we talk about the value of having a quarterback, but there is something to be said to also getting to choose your next leg of the adventure as opposed to having a quarterback handed to you who's less proven than, let's say, a Justin Herbert's in the way that Bryce Young is going to be for whoever takes that Panthers job. And you're also in a division where there's no dominant team, right? You're, it's not the AFC West, you know, where Kansas City's won a division for the last 50 years. You know, it's not when New England kept winning AFC East. You don't have a dominant team. So you're kind of in it every single year. So at least you have that as well to say, all right, there's not one team that's going to jump far and away ahead of us at this point. No, there's not. And for that reason, now you look at and start to look up at the draft order. Atlanta currently, according to Tankathon, sits at 10th in the upcoming NFL draft right now at their current record. And like you said, that's not going to be good enough to get you in range for one of the good guys. So all of a sudden you're starting to talk about reaching and going up to a place where you wouldn't have otherwise gone. So mm-hmm. uh, the wheel's going to continue to turn in the offseason there. Dad, I did want to get to this for a brief moment here and just wish a congratulations. a total turn in the wheel in the other direction. But if we're talking about talent acquisition, It's going to kind of largely go untalked about. This is the second national signing day that's going on today in college football right right now. Used to be the normal national signing day that we've got going on. A lot of the recruitment's coming in. I still don't know if they're going in on fax machines right now. But congratulations to the (laughs) players that are putting the pen to paper that weren't part of that early window, that weren't part of the transfer portal window. We've sort of robbed this day of what it used to be around the sport. But for anyone that is wondering currently right now, you got the Georgia Bulldogs, surprise, surprise, sitting with the number one overall class, followed by Ohio State, Alabama, Oregon, Florida State, the Florida Gators, the Texas Longhorns, Oklahoma, Miami, and Auburn rounding out the top ten. It is amazing for all the change in the sport, Dad, how much certain things have stayed the same. And it's also amazing the change. Now, I take, you know, you, me, you, your brother Jake kind of out of it because we had – an affiliation with Notre Dame. I did through my brother Bob going there and going there for his years, and you and Jake and certainly Sydney from a swimming aspect of you know being at Notre Dame of just how you were all brainwashed and wanting to go to Notre Dame. So there was there was never really a thought when the offer came you were going to be there. But even for most most players, certainly in my era and even in yours, when you signed that national letter of intent, you were like. This is where I'm going to school and this is where I'm going to play. It seems like the line today is this is where I'm going to start going to school and start going to play. We'll see where it all ends up, but this is at least where I'm going to start. It's almost like it's not that four to five year commitment. It's like, well, give it a go here and see how it goes. Yeah, I've said it for a while. The process became a business a long time ago, and now the players have to operate as such. And so you're right. It is a starting point for most of these players, but it's still an exciting starting point nonetheless. Congrats, guys. Good luck. Go get that bag. Time to finish this thing off with my throne the way we always do. Stuff full of cookies, drinking milk, getting you to this, that, and the third. Three quick stories to send you off on into the rest of your day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating. Check us out here live Monday through Friday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the DraftKingsNetwork.com, the DraftKings YouTube channel, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, and more. And if you miss any of the show or our great guests like our buddy Charlotte Wilder from the Oddball Podcast, her and Amin El Hassan, Make sure you get that wherever you get your podcast or available right here on YouTube right after we get done with the show. We will get to an innovator on the golf course doing wow. the Lord's work 
after we get you this word from Wrangler. Because, folks, we are brought to you by Wrangler. Jeans, shirts, and jackets made for the ride of life. Be ready for those cooler days and longer nights and styles that will keep you warm, comfy, moving and looking great no matter where you are. You can wear Wrangler jeans literally anywhere, at work, out at night, playing a pickup game with friends, or at home, just watching the game on TV. They're that comfortable. They're that durable. And don't forget, there's a Wrangler shirt for every occasion, casual tees, snaps, and button-ups. You can layer them both together, get the best of both worlds. And, of course, the iconic Wrangler jackets. When the weather starts to chill and you got to venture outside, Wrangler is going to keep you ready for anything. So add some Wrangler to your getup with jeans, shirts, and jackets that look great, fit great, and move great, so you're always ready for whatever life throws at you. Save 15% on your first Wrangler.com order when you use promo code GOJO15. That's G-O-J-O-1-5, Wrangler, for the ride of life. And guys, the ride of life took one man on TikTok to a place where he wanted to do this. Dress up like Mr. Larson from Happy Gilmore with a nail in his head and pull off the Happy Gilmore Challenge, the 18-18-18 Challenge. 18 holes of golf, 18 beers, and 18 hot dogs. And Jesse, I feel like uh, our buddy Emerson Lazio would probably be a lot more at home with this discussion given his love of tubed meat, but it's still pretty impressive. It's wildly impressive. Uh, 18 beers is a lot of beers. I feel like... I could eat 18 hot dogs. Yeah. Like, not, like, handily. 18 beers is a lot. I think I would start feeling very sick. But 18 the, hot dogs, <clears throat> I mean, am I crazy? I think I could do that pretty easily. Yeah, so the, the, I, I, think, I think we could do 18 hot dogs, but I think you got to do one every hole. That's the problem. Yeah. And starting out, I think, would be fine. Listen. Mike, you've called the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Yeah. I watch it every year. It's one of my biggest regrets in life that had the chance to do that and wasn't able to. We both have done that with other foods as well. I, I, I don't, and God knows I love a good beer or five on a golf course. I don't think I could do this. I do not think that I could, I think I could drink 18 beers throughout the day. I think I could eat 18 hot dogs throughout the day, but not in the time frame of a round of golf, like four and four and a half hours. I don't think I could do it. No, I, I, I have a healthy respect for what the hot dog eaters do as competitors, and I firmly believe that the difference in this might just be the walking. Mm-hmm. Because, Dad, we're both thinking, and I think wired to think about golf in terms of playing it and the amount of time it does in a cart. You really got to yes. slow pay this. Like, you can't have anyone yep. else on the course with you because if you're going to try and do this, you got to be walking, and you got to be walking at a pace that is slow enough to allow you time to consume this, but also fast enough to help you burn a little bit and walk off a little bit of this buzz because I'm 100% with you. I think the hot dogs are a little bit more doable over the course of like four and a half hours than trying to do 18 beers at a beer a hole is by the end of that. So here's the thing to you, Mike and Jesse, if we tried this after nine holes, do you clear the gut out? If you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I don't know if you'd be allowed rally, to though. You're not allowed to probably. That's like so cheating. once you, once you throw, but what if you weren't trying to, if you just puked on your own, does that mean the challenge is over? You're, I know. Yeah, I think in, you failed in, probably. I, I know in competitive eating, you get disqualified in a reversal of fortune situation. I don't know if that's true here because that might be something I would try and do is just let it all go after nine and then maybe I could do the, the back nine. I don't think this is super regulated, unlike right. our friends over at Major League, eating yes, who have clear, exactly. Major League Eating who have clear rules on the reversal. At the same time, I think there's got to be honor amongst thieves at some point in yeah. a lot of these food and drink-based challenges. And if you throw up in the middle, I think you're DQ'd. So congratulations to the man dressed as Mr. Larson on TikTok who felt like punishing <laughs> his body for the entertainment of the masses. God, do we live in a messed up time here. Thankfully, yep. Jesse, we have things like that to save us, reminding us about the good times in the midst of bowl season that we are all old and slowly marching towards our impending death. Yeah, so Tuesday night, Scooter's Coffee Frisco Bowl clash between UTSA and Marshall featured an intriguing matchup, okay, consisting of the sons of a pair of former NFL quarterbacks. So we had for UTSA, Owen McCown, son of Josh McCown, and for Marshall, Cole Pennington, son of Chad Pennington. And guys, don't you just feel... I don't know. I feel frailer after hearing that. Just like you said, like I'm just so old. We're at the point where we're the sons of NFL quarterbacks who I don't feel like 
I mean, I feel like they were around not that long ago. Now their sons are playing in college bowl games. Yeah, it seems like a lot of these quarterbacks tend to have kids young, and it, I'm, I'm going to use that as oh. the excuse. Um, Owen McCown starting because Frank Harris, the normal quarterback for UTSA, wasn't available, I believe, with the shoulder in this game. But yeah, Dad, uh, I feel decrepit, so I can yeah. only imagine how you feel at looking at this and having seen this happen with plenty of your teammates, former kids, Listen, who were like my peers coming up. It's it's in my face every week. I, I'm doing an NFL game every week, and there's always somebody, you know, who I played against, who's playing now. I played against their father, so I see it every week. So I feel old every week. And I felt old from the radio days, you know, at ESPN, of which I started that in 1998 and went to 2021. I once had a young man who was in his later 20s come up to me and say, Mr. Golick, that's a first sign that I was old when he calls me Mr. Golick. He said, he went through this litany. I listened to you when I was in grade school on my paper route before school. I listened to you when I got up driving to high school. I listened to you when I got up to go to class in college. And then I went into uh, the armed services and we listened to you there as well. I'm like, oh my God, I, am I a hundred years old? I mean, that, that, and, and that's what I get as well. Even when I go to these games, some of these players, oh, man, I listen to you. You're in the NFL now. Oh, I listened to you when I was growing up. It is the, the unbelievable marker of me feeling so frigging old. Yeah, I saw J.J. Watt once call you Mr. Golick, yeah. and that's when I realized yes. that you were indeed a fossil. Um, but I will say the underrated best part of this game that made me feel young and alive was watching Jeff Trailer, the winning coach, who they came back down 14 in this game to beat Marshall. Because this was the Scooters' call, game got doused with the we talked about dumping the bucket full of the bowl yeah. game product he got in a Gatorade cooler shaped like a coffee cup gallons of iced coffee dumped on him oh. at the end of the game and a step further Jeff Trailer wasn't deterred by that the post game press conference started at 12:30 a.m. and he drank an entire iced coffee at the podium while answering questions wow. built different all star wow wow much better night. Much better than getting hot coffee poured on you. Amen. Yeah. That's what I was very worried about there. Uh, so let's get to the third now for another shot of life here as Nikola Jokic gets to live out his <laughs> wildest dreams in front of the camera. I cannot. This is like what good fortune we have here. So a new commercial dropped. It's for Hotels.com, okay? And it's Nikola Jokic and Peyton Watson and a mini pony. So yeah. We don't see Jokic in like commercials. So this is apparently this is what it's going to take to get him to be in commercials. Is there like listen, like did he get to keep the pony? Like I, I need to know the details. <laughs> Was it his pony? Did he yeah. negotiate this so that his <laughs> pony could get some acting work and get a SAG card? I, I'm not sure, but you're right. I do love the thought that the key to Jokic's heart is just proximity to some sort of horse tangent creature, Dad. It's incredible. I, I love this guy. I love everything about him. Everything, everything of it, you can't give me enough of him, especially outside of basketball. We see him in basketball and how great he is. I want to know everything about this guy off the court. And he certainly doesn't certainly doesn't want to give up a lot of stuff off the court because he's never around, always doing his thing. But you you can't give me enough of Nikolai Jokic off the basketball. He always court. has time for horses. I want to yes. see the collaboration between Nikola Jokic and little Sebastian from Parks and Recreation. Oh. <laughs> I need Nikola Jokic. I don't know if he plays guitar, but Nikola Jokic playing 5,000 Candles in the Wind, a tribute <laughs> song for little Sebastian that was played at the Pawnee Parks and Recreation Festival there. That is my dream, and I will speak it into existence. I would also like to speak into existence that you go download, subscribe, rate, review this show. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Help us fight the algorithm. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>